Jesus, we love you. Wow. Can't imagine life without your grace. Can't imagine life without your presence. Can't imagine life without knowing you and being loved by you. Actually, I, I can't imagine it because I did it for a long time and it was miserable. So thank you, Jesus, that you've rescued us from the pit of our own brokenness, brokenness and you brought us into a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Would you speak to our hearts this morning and do a mighty work through your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen. All righty, well, uh, like I said earlier, my name is Chris, I'm the family's pastor, and um, I have this incredible honor this morning to wrap up our series we've been doing on the last few weeks on biblical family and parenting. And uh, man, I'm so, so honored and encouraged to be able to share what God's put on my heart this morning. But before, before we dive in, I just want to give you a little brief um, intro to me and my family. Some of you guys I know really well. I was actually in worship just looking around the room, honestly, and just weeping. I don't know if I was hiding up here, but just weeping, looking around the room at the friends and the families and the community here that have been so near and dear to Arlena and I over the years here at this church. And and uh, we're just so blown away to have such a rich community. But I know a lot of you guys don't know me at all. You're like, who is this guy and why should I listen to him? And so I just want to give you a quick glimpse into, into our family. So um, I just celebrated my 20th year anniversary this summer of Jesus rescuing me. Uh, I was a uh, sophomore in high school. It was 1999. I went to a summer camp in North Carolina. I was 16 years old, and I didn't know God, and God met me. I heard the amazing news of Jesus, that he came and died for my sin to remove my shame and reconnect me to a good father, and it planted deep in my heart and, and would change the rest of my life. Um, that was 20 years ago this summer. It's crazy. I just celebrated my 10-year anniversary of making the second best choice of my life when I married Arlena. And um, there would not be enough time this morning to honor you for how amazing you are. And I, um, as I know, there's a lot of men in the room that could say the same thing, but I am um, so much incredibly just more whole and healed and secure and alive because I chose to marry you, 100%. Rewind 10 years ago, and um, you would not recognize the guy that she got married to. And, and your love and faithfulness, babe, has really just changed my life, changed my life. So 10 years, just on uh, Thursday, was our 10-year anniversary. She is amazing, and um, we just moved into a new house this past weekend, uh, which is really fun. A lot of you guys came and broke your backs helping us. Thank you, thank you, thank you. And um, because we have four amazing kiddos, it was getting a little bit tight, and uh, just it's exciting for me to get to also announce publicly that we are officially expecting number five. All right, so we um, we got the we got the basketball team down. We're going for the baseball team next, right? So. Um, we wrap. So this morning, um, I'm going to show you a quick family and my, my, uh, a quick picture of my family. Get the, get the uh, Shipleys. There we go. All right. Here's real world. That, you know, just home run dad, right? The Shipleys run. I just need you guys to see. We're like, 
We don't always feed our kids organic, healthy all the time, right? A lot of the time we do, but occasionally you just got to do a sugar binge at Shipley. So there are my sweet kids on the far left. That is Hudson. Uh, his identical twin brother is a diagonal across the table, Levi. They just turned four a couple weekends ago. I'll tell you more about that in a sec. Holland is our Texas tornado. Oh, my goodness. Okay, so three boys, and she is the rowdiest, the toughest, the most energetic, and the most hard-headed, giving us a run for our money. Lord, let her grow up fast, please. <laughs> she, she turns two next weekend. And then this is our big brother, Caleb Hale. He is an uh, amazing big brother. He um, has shared his life with a lot of other kids and a lot of noise, and he, he's amazing. But I just want to show you um, where I'm coming from because I'm going to spend the next 30 minutes just talking about um, the, the Heavenly Father, talking about Father God. And as we finish this family series, really, I just my only goal today is to direct our eyes to Abba, Abba Father, for us to see the nature of our good Father and to be changed by that. But I need you to know before I dive in that I am just like every single one of you in this room, I am very much still in process with Jesus. As, a, as his follower, as a husband, as a father, I am continually being shaped by the Lord. Like each of you, I have some great success stories with, my, with the Lord and with my wife and my kids, and I have some epic failures, okay? For example, two weekends ago, um, let's get the picture of the twins' birthday with the bikes up here, okay? So the twins turned four two weekends ago, and so um, they, had, they jumped the training wheels, and, and we got them big kid bikes, and look at big brother there, so proud, you know? So we go and we get the twins, two new bikes for their fourth birthday, and we come home, and we get out in the street, and we get everybody's helmets on, right? Hey, helmets, that's right. And um, so I got three boys on three bikes, and Caleb takes off, and the twins are good. They can ride, but they can't start without a little bit of help, right? So I, I send off Levi, I send off Hudson, and I stand back, and for a moment, it was just this, like, picturesque scene of my my life and my children, my three boys riding off just in perfect formation, you know, for about 15 seconds. It was glorious. And then Hudson crashes into Levi, Levi crashes into Caleb, domino, boom, boom, three bikes, three bodies mangled on the pavement, everybody crying, and daddy sprinting to the assistance, you know. It's just like a snapshot of Parenthood, you know, you have these glorious moments followed by total carnage, you know, and that is life with God and with kids and family, you know, and um, so I just need you to know that, that uh, you know, I've had some good moments and I've had some failures and I'm, I'm on the journey just like you are, but I have this deep conviction that life is ordained and ordered by God the stages of life, marriage, family, parenthood, all this stuff, it, it is all ordained and ordered by God simply that we would know him more and become more like him. Marriage and parenthood have been ordained by God to show us what it's like to be him through covenant and to give us countless opportunities to love like he loves through the constant self-sacrifice that these two covenants require. 
God has ordained these things so that we could be like him. I also believe that underneath every single one of our issues and insecurities that we're all working through, that there's just this little boy or little girl simply longing for the love, acceptance, approval, affection, and attention of a good father. So I want to do my best this morning to just unpack three characteristics of our Heavenly Father in hopes that all of us would simply just know Him and love Him more, and in hopes that every father and mother in the room would be shaped to be more like Abba, Father. By looking at Him, by looking at Him today, I hope two things happen. Number one, I hope that by looking at our good Father, that each of us as children might find something that we missed from our mom and dad. And I'm also hoping that by looking at the good father this morning, that every one of us that are parents in the room might find something that we're missing as a father or as a mother. Are you with me? We're just going to look at him, and he's going to fill in the gaps of our lives with his character. Are you all okay with that? So... um, There are three things that the title of this message is just the good father. And there are three things that I really want to highlight about our perfect heavenly father, who the scripture says is perfect in all of his ways. And um, the first one is that the good father delights. A good father delights. Our perfect heavenly father, part of his character is that he delights over his children. One of the most universal experiences of parenthood is the unexplainable and uncontainable joy that mothers and fathers feel toward their offspring. Can all the parents in the room say amen? It's hard to explain how there can be 20 cute kids in a kingdom kids classroom, but when I go back there to pick up my own, my affection, the tunnel vision that I get on my own and the love and joy that I feel for my own child, it's almost as if all of your kids don't even exist in that moment. And parents, you know exactly what I'm talking about. And, and you know what? Every single one of our kids and every single one of us needs that moment where we know out of this whole crowd of 20, I'm your favorite. Guys, the good father delights in his children. I want to share a few verses. We see this first in Genesis 1.31. Many of you, most of you probably know the creation story. God is creating the heavens of the earth. He's creating the sun, the moon, the stars, the mountains, the fields, the animals, the fish, everything with the word of his mouth. And all along the way, he's saying, it's good. It's good. The creator is creating good things and then He stops declaring with his mouth, and he begins to go to work with his hands. And he takes the dust of the earth, and he shapes man and woman intimately in his hands from the dust of the earth and breathes the breath of life so intimately, so closely into his sons and daughters. And it was only after creating his children, that he looked at it and said it was 
very good. The very first glimpse that we have of Father God, Creator God, delighting in His sons and daughters above and beyond everything else in all creation. It's good. The mountains are good. The rivers are cool. The animals are awesome. You watch planet Earth. I mean, it's good. It's crazy. God is wild in His creativity. It's good. But put a man and a woman before Him, and the delight of Father God, isn't that amazing? A good father delights. We see this in Zephaniah 3, 16 and 17. I want to read these couple of verses with us. We see here, On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion. Let not your hands grow weak. For the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud Singing. Leave this up here for a second. I want to point out a few things in this one verse about Father God. He is present. The Lord our God is in your midst. He's present. He is strong. And he delights in you and us so much that it makes him sing. You see that? How many of you, that's your current relational standing with Father God? You wake up in the morning and you, you, you just hear him singing over you. He's so in love with you. Be honest. If that's you, I think most of us are trying to get there and believe that he's a, as crazy about us as he says that he is. Amen? Guys, he's singing over you. He's so crazy. I didn't understand this until we had our first kid, Caleb, and I'm holding him. He's just a couple weeks old. I'm walking around my living room. I'm holding him, and I just begin to, like, spontaneously sing over him. I'm just, I was just singing, like, you're amazing. I love you. I mean, it wasn't a good song, but I'm just, like, <laughs> singing. I just start singing my affection, my delight over my three-week-old son, and I just got hammered by Zephaniah 3, 17. Oh, my gosh, he actually loves me. It's like as if the cross of Christ wasn't enough for God to prove to me how much he loved me. He lets me become a father so that I can experience it first person. Wow, he actually loves me. I'm his son. He actually delights in me so much that he sings over me when he sees me. And I'm still learning. I'm still getting there. But that's what the Bible says. So anything that's beneath that in our experience of Father God, that we've got some growing to do there, right? If your perspective of Father God is that he's just angry at you and disappointed in you all the time, you've got some healing to do to get to a true perspective of the Father that's singing over you all the time because he is so delighted in you. Man, that should have got a few more amens. I'm guessing maybe we need some work in believing God delights in us. We see this further in Jesus in Luke chapter 3. The good Father delighting over his son Jesus. Check this out. Jesus gets baptized in Luke chapter 3 and um, he, he started praying, and the heavens were opened. You guys have seen this scene. The Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove, and a voice came from heaven, You are my beloved son. With you I am well pleased. So forever captured in history is this moment 
where Father God literally audibly speaks his delight over his son. This is my beloved son. That one word, beloved, will change your whole life if you let it. And I'll be the first to say that this has been the journey of the last 20 years of my life is believing that I'm actually beloved. Actually believing that God's as crazy about me as the cross already proved and the word of God already says. I'm on the journey. But if this one word, beloved, will change your whole life if you let it. And Luke 3 kind of transitions us here to our second characteristic of the good father. First, the good father delights in us. This is my beloved son. But the good father, we see also the good father declares our identity. He declares who we are. And we see that in the same exact passage. He's not just declaring, speaking his delight over his son, saying, you're my beloved. He's actually speaking, declaring identity over him. He's saying, you're my son, and I'm pleased with you. I'm proud of you. The power of fatherhood, the power of fatherhood is found in the ability to create life and identity by simply using our words. Do you know that you were made to be like God? I'm not saying you were made to be God, but do you know that you were made in the image of God to be like him? How did God create the world? We were just talking about in Genesis 1. Words of his mouth, and he's creating things. Scripture is really clear that our words actually have the same ability as the, in the image of the one we are made in to create as well. You have the ability with your words to create or destroy identity. Parents, this should be like a fear of God gut check for us. Wow. And I'll be the first to say that my words coming out of my mouth, even in just this past week of trying to move two 26-foot U-Hauls from one house to another with four little kids in the midst the whole time wanting to be involved and climbing up and around the ladders and the, the moving ramp and everything, there were some moments, Jay might tell you, or Jared, or TJ, or any of the guys that were helping me, where I, I don't know that my words were creating the most life in my kids. That's the power of fatherhood, though, is to declare identity. So check this out. Can I get some water? White water bottle. Check this out. In Luke 3, 21 and 22. Thanks, babe. There are three primary components to our identity. You guys like this cool white? Is this manly or no? Swing. Is this a good father God message or is this kind of, this look like milk? Does a body good, guys, you know? Not milk. Um, there's three primary components to every one of our identity. We see it here in Luke 3, 21 and 22. This is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. Number one, you are a son or a daughter. I, component number one, you are a son or a daughter of a good heavenly father. Component number two, you are loved. You are beloved. 
the word that will change your whole life if you let it. You're actually loved. You're actually loved. You're actually liked by God. You're actually so delighted in by God that he sings over you, okay? He's not making it up. He was the first spontaneous worship leader, okay, when he started singing over you in love, okay? And the third component is that he's actually pleased and proud of you. Those are the three components of healthy identity. Now, very few of us get all three of those components from our mother and father growing up. Most people I've seen, maybe if they're lucky, get two out of three. So for me in my life, my dad told me all the time, I remember it, that he was proud of me. That he was proud of me. I heard it all the time. My dad even hugged me, gave me affection. He was a great dad in so many ways. I'm sure he told me he loved me, but I didn't always feel very loved by him. I felt a lot of the time like I I needed to be a little bit better. So now translate that into my last 20 years with the Lord. I feel most of the time like like God's proud of me, like I'm, I'm like doing a good job, I'm being faithful. I don't always really feel like Father God just like loves me and delights in me. Every single one of our journeys with the Lord will mirror those three identity components and maybe a piece of that was lacking in our own childhood. I remember the year that I was in ADS, some of you guys that have gone through the discipleship school might remember a teaching by a man named Ricky Shalette. And he comes and he does this amazing teaching on essentially uh, how gender identity is formed in young kids through the words and the affirmation of their parents and how so much of a kid's core identity is established by the words of their parents early on in life. And so he said, there, there are a few things that every young boy is longing to hear from his dad. You are good enough. You are strong enough. You have what it takes. And I'm with you all the way. I love you and I'm proud with you. I'm proud of you. And I remember, I think we had Caleb and the twins were newborn. So I had three boys at that time. And I'm listening to this teaching going, oh my goodness, can I memorize that right now? I just totally ripped it off from him. I'm like, Thank you, God. Now I can try to be a good daddy and declare this over my boys. And so for the last three years, almost every night when I'm snuggling my boys and going to sleep with them at night and putting them in bed, I will say to them, Levi, you are good enough. You are strong enough. And I'm with you all the way. You have what it takes. And I love you. And I'm proud of you. And I'm just trying to wire it deep inside of them that their father delights in them and is declaring identity over them. If I ask Levi right now, he's up here on the front row, he hadn't been feeling too good. If I asked him right now, Levi, who are you? Hey, buddy, who are you? A man of God and my son and a treasure. Okay, so... Guys, I have not done everything perfect in parenthood, but I just asked my four-year-old who he is. And he said, a man of God, your son, and a treasure. So wherever you're at in your journey with your kids, it's like we've got to learn the language of declaring. We've got to learn the power that we have in creating identity in the ones that we love, specifically the ones that are looking to us to find their place in the world. 
Levi, you nailed that, man. That was awesome. Come on. And then number three, so a good father delights, a good father declares, and a good father, our perfect heavenly father, he disciplines. Now, this one is third because if you try to, we're going to get into this a little bit, but if you try to discipline in an environment where you're not delighting and showing affection and declaring healthy identity, your discipline will more likely than not damage your child instead of accomplishing what the Bible says it's supposed to accomplish. I warn you, if you're not doing great at delighting in your kid and declaring identity over your kid, please hold off on disciplining them until you've got those things gaining some traction in your home. Are you with me? These things have to be together or they become painful and hurtful. And maybe some of our own memories, painful memories of our parents were because my dad was the disciplinarian, but he never told me that he loved me. That is a, a recipe for lifetime brokenness. The only reason I have the relational capital with my sons to discipline them is because I spend 90% of my life in the delight and declaring phase. You guys with me? And that's how Father God is with us too. Do you know that? Most of the time, he's singing over you, telling you how much he loves you, declaring your identity, that you're a son, that you're a daughter. Most of the time, he's declaring that those things over you. And occasionally, he says, hey, there's this thing in your life that is not in line with my character and my holiness, and it needs to change. And he disciplines us as a good father. In Hebrews 12, 7 through 11, says this, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons. For what son is there whom the father does not discipline? If you are left without discipline, in which all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. Besides this, we had earthly fathers who disciplined us and we respected them. Shall we not much more be subject to the father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. Did you know that the, there is a passage in the Bible that uses the word discipline so many times in such a you know, concentrated format? This is talking about Father God. And I really believe that the great responsibility of parenthood is to create a physical environment in our home that mirrors spiritual realities. I'm going to unpack that in a little bit more in a second, but there is this responsibility on us as parents to train our kids for the realities of life. And one of the primary realities of life is that sin leads to pain and brokenness. And so we have to help create an environment in our homes that trains our children 
in that way. I want to get there in a second, but I want to make a few observations about Hebrews 12, okay? Just a few. Number one, discipline is normal in healthy parent-child relationships. Did y'all see that in that passage? I mean, it's like talking about discipline as if this was just the normal thing that every parent did. Well, you know why? Because 2,000 years ago, it was just the normal thing that every parent did. For centuries and centuries, it was deeply understood that mothers and fathers trained their children in the ways of the Lord, and there was a clear discipline process that was painful and unpleasant that happened when young children chose to be disobedient and rebellious. I know I'm treading on thin ice. Don't worry. We're going to be safe, guys, okay? There's this huge security net underneath all of us right now called the Word of God. And if I step off that thing, raise your hand and you can call me on it, okay? But if we will do our diligence and dive into the Scriptures on the Father's heart and the biblical theology of discipline, there will not be anything lacking. So we're going to be okay. A couple other observations. Discipline is good for us, and it is for our good. Discipline is good for us, and it is for our good. I hope you saw that in there. Number three, discipline is momentarily painful and unpleasant. Y'all see that? Actually, the definition of discipline is that it's painful and unpleasant. So if you have a current discipline method that is not actually leading to any unpleasant consequence for your child, then you might be doing something. You might be redirecting or delaying or some other parenting technique, but you're not disciplining. By definition, discipline is painful, momentarily painful and unpleasant. Number four, this momentary discomfort, though, check out the promise, yields something beautiful in the context of healthy parenthood where delight and declaration are already happening, when it's all there together, look at it. Later, it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those that have been trained by it. What does discipline produce? The peaceful fruit of righteousness. Do you notice the like cultivating language, the, the farming, the fruit, the the yield, the harvest of peace. So just this yesterday or a couple days ago, um, me and my boys, they wanted to plant some apple seeds out of the apple core. And so we found a little pot and we went and we looked on YouTube how to plant some apple seeds. I found out later we did it wrong, but we um, get this little pot and my three boys all put their like one inch little hole in the pot and they dropped one little uh, apple seed and we put a little bit of water and covered it up. And then they were like, what now, Dad? <laughs> and I'm like, well, I'm like, this is such a kingdom moment right now. This is awesome. You know, centuries of, you know, agrarian metaphors, you know. Here we are on the back porch with sowing seeds in the pot. And my kids just asked me, what do we do now after we plant a seed? I'm like, this is too easy. <laughs> Well, sons, you wait and you water. You wait and you water. They got it like that. Wait and water, wait and water, wait. They're all bouncing around the house all day long. We wait and water, wait and water. I'm like, that's what you do after you sow something. You wait and you keep watering it. 
it speaks, I think, to one, in parenthood, there is a patience required, a waiting. So if you are like disciplining your kid and it's like not changing that afternoon or not being finished like that next week, or she's still slamming her bowl on the breakfast table, Holland, this morning and throwing her spoon across the kitchen, true story, five minutes before I walked out the door, just stay the course and wait. Continue to sow the seed of training and wait for it to yield the harvest of peace and righteousness. Don't, don't discipline your child one time. They do the same behavior and go, man, that didn't work. All these disciplined guys are crazy. Just throw the whole thing out. No, 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 no. Wait and water. Pick a method that is momentarily unpleasant and painful that is wrapped in your delight for them as their good father, your declaration of their identity, and pick a moment that is uncomfortable and trains them that sin and disobedience and rebellion have real life painful consequences because that is the purpose of discipline. It is to begin to train us away from our hunger for unrighteousness. The good father invites us the peaceful fruit of righteousness. You guys know this verse that says the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in the Holy Spirit. That order is critical because how many of you have tried to find a life filled with peace and filled with joy, but not founded on righteousness? You tried that? Hey, I'm going to live however I want to do. I'm going to just ignore all of God's commandments for healthy, holy living. I'm just going to go do whatever I want to do and hope that I find a bunch of peace and joy. How that work? You're all in church, so I'm guessing that's not worked for you. <laughs> because the only place of true, lasting peace and joy is founded on the righteousness and holiness of a good Father, that in him is light and there is no darkness at all. Do you guys know that righteousness is a starting point to finding peace and finding joy? That's, this is why it scares me so much that in our society, we're medicating so much of our lack of peace and lack of joy ec epidemic. 40 million People struggle with anxiety in our country cyclically to the point that they're medicated. And if you're medicated and you've, there's some, I understand there are chemical things that happen when our peace is gone and we have anxiety or when our joy is gone and we have depression. I just wish before we write a prescription, the doctor would hold up the word of God and say, hey, is there any unrighteousness in your life? Because it could be robbing your peace and joy. Is there any sin or bondage or place where you're just ignoring the laws of God because it could be stealing your peace and joy? And so the good father, the good father invites us into the peace and joy of his righteousness by directing us away from the destruction of sin. Check this out. By allowing us to experience, by allowing us to reap the painful consequences of our sin, our disobedience, and our rebellion. Raise your hand if you've reaped painful consequences of your sin, your disobedience, and rebellion. Do you know why? 
Because God loves you enough to discipline you and allow you to have a bitter, yucky experience of sin and rebellion so that your heart would learn, I don't want that. There's not peace there. There's not joy there. My father is directing my heart away from the path of destruction because he's a good father and he wants me to share in his holiness. That's the good father. Sin, all, we know the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy. That's sin's job description. Steal, kill, destroy. God, as a good father, his job description is Deuteronomy 30, 15. I have set before you today life and good, death and evil. And he goes on at the end and he says, so choose life. That's a good father. He's saying, here are your choices, Levi. Here are your choices, Caleb. Here are your choices, church. Good and life through the obedience and righteousness of God under the way of blessing or pain and consequence, the stealing and killing and destroying of things that you cherish. He's a good father. He's a good father. I want us to stand up and go ahead and have the band come up as we close this morning. Are we okay? Do you guys know that Father God is perfect in all of his ways? That he delights in you. He declares who you are through Jesus. And he loves you so much that he disciplines you for your good and me for my good that I would become more like him and find a life of peace and joy that is built upon his righteousness. It's who he is. And I said at the beginning of this message that my hope in preaching this message today, let's go ahead and have our prayer team, life group leaders come up to the front as well as we get ready to respond. My hope in this message was, was two things, that we would look at Father God, and if there was an area lacking in, as his children, if there's an area lacking in that critical identity, if you're a son or a daughter, you are loved by God, and he is pleased with who you are and who he made you to be. If there's something lacking, to come and have an encounter with Abba Father, to come and have an encounter with the good father this morning. And if you're a parent in the room today, as we've fixed our eyes on the good father and who he is, man, I hope it probably has. Guys, preaching this message this morning, coming to share this word, do you think I was not painfully aware of all of my shortcomings as a father and as a husband? I'm like, I'm going to get up in front of these people and talk about a perfect heavenly father when I am a very much still in process earthly father? When we fix our eyes on him, it exposes the holes in our own life. Why? Because he's good and he loves us and he wants to fill those with his character. If you're a mother or a father and you're seeing some own holes in your parenting, there is no condemnation for those in Christ. Don't be like the prideful Pharisees that dropped their stones and walked away and said, I'm not going to change. Be like the humble woman that was exposed and 
bow before Jesus and say, I need help loving my kids. I need help speaking identity over my kids. I need help learning how to discipline them in a healthy way, which if you've got young kids, I'm hoping to hold a little disciplined parenting thing on a Sunday here in two or three weeks. We'll communicate about it because there's a lot more conversation to be had there. And there's a lot of helpful practicals from people that have gone before you. So you have permission in the next three weeks, if you don't hear something communicated about some parenting training that is happening here, blow up my email, blow up my cell phone and say, when's it happening, Chris? You said, you said, you said, okay? But guys, let's respond. Here's what's amazing. The good father who delights and declares and disciplines his children, the good father, all of these things position a child to discover a world where they are deeply loved, where they are profoundly secure, and where they are unusually peaceful and joyful because they've been trained by a good father to choose the way of life and righteousness and to flee from rebellion. That's who the good father is. So I just want us to ask and respond this morning. Say, just ask him, Father, how do you want me to respond today? What are you saying to me, God? Where, where do I need an encounter with the Father today? Wherever you're at this morning, I want to encourage you to take the step of faith. Come up here and pray with one of these guys. It is all confidential. There's something powerful that happened biblically where two or three are gathered in Jesus' name. If you need a touch from Father God this morning, I want you to come down. You can go ahead and start coming forward and responding now. If you need somebody to pray over you and ask for the love of God to hit your heart like never before, if you need somebody to just remind you of what God says about you in the word as he declares your identity as a son or daughter, I want you to come forward. Parents, if you're seeing a lack in your parenthood and you want prayer, let's pray. Let's go. We need help. I need help. Gosh, the list is too long of ways that I missed it just in the past seven days. So let's go on the journey to be like the good father. Jesus, do what only you can do. We just invite you, Holy Spirit, to minister to our hearts, to shift and shape us to be more like you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.